1: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another fine edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Cole your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England Zone, Van sink With me is not Mr. Richard Felix. He's off doing his psychic and science show, but I have the next best thing. I have the rock star of the paranormal psychologist, Mr. Kelly. Cal Cooper. Cal, you there?
2: Uh, I like that, the rock star of the paranormal. That's very cool. I'll stick yeah. to that one. It's better than um, Party Pooper.
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, no, that's... that's res- Dr. Pooh is reserved for Dr. or reserved for Mr. Karen O'Keefe. But, uh, anyway. How's it uh, going, Ron? Good, very good. You just got back from Turkey, I thought, which was pretty cool.
2: Yes, yes. I only just um, spent ten days there, and I'm still catching up on sleep from... I know it was only a two-hour difference, but uh, I was absolutely shattered by the time I got back. So I've just been doing odd little bits of reading and work since I got back. So we're back on track now, back to work.
1: Excellent, most excellent. And uh, I believe we also have have on the line uh, Mr. John Berry.
0: You sure do. Barry John, Barry
1: John. What what have I got, the Lexia? What is that? What have you got, what,
0: sorry? Barry John. Yeah, it's Barry John. Not John Barry, I'm afraid. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I'm a bit disappointed not being introduced as the, the what the rock and roll king, was it? Or whatever.
1: <laughs> the the, uh, the parapsychologist rock star. The rock star the of the parapsychologist, whatever.
0: <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Very good. How are you, Ron, anyway?
1: Good. But uh, anyways, uh, we, we just... Uh, Cal just got back from uh, the wonderful country of Turkey, and... Um, Oh, I, I want to talk a little bit about Turkey and that. Why you were there, Cal? Okay, l- let me ask you. And 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 Barry, you can certainly you know jump in on this. Anyways, when you go to a, a country like Turkey, I mean, I know you run for vacation, but is your parapsychologist's ears and antennas still pointed up? Are you still interested in what's going on parapsychologically wise at in Turkey or in a foreign country that you go to?
0: Oh
2: yeah, of course. Um... One of the uh, people that we met out there, we did actually get into a conversation with them, even though they didn't know much English, and it was hard trying to actually mime a ghost or what a ghost is, just waving your hands in the air, going ooh. <laughs> <kind> <laughs> <laughs> they, but they stick to um, Muslim and Islamic tradition out there, so that relates to what I was saying before about Egypt and the 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 car and the coup, and also jinns, are their kind of um, religious take on what ghosts are. So. They seem to um, have hauntings and uh, so forth out there, but just not um, spoken as much um, about as what we do in the UK or over in the USA. I asked one of my friends from Italy once, um, who's an academic over there, what he thought about the, the, the hauntings in Austria and Italy, which he spent a lot of time in. He said, we don't have them over there. Which is absolute nonsense, but he said, no, no, we don't have hauntings or ghosts over there. And he was being deadly serious. He said, the UK has them, the USA has them, but we don't have them. And when (laughs) we got to a further conversation about it, he said, okay, maybe we just don't talk about them, but we might have them, we just don't talk about them.
0: And I think that's a lot of people, Cal, isn't it? They just don't want to acknowledge the subject at times. Um, I spend a lot of time in the Middle East, Ron, and it's a a very similar scenario where there's a a big expat following out there. You know, a lot of English have moved out there, a lot of the foreigners. Um, And people still love to talk about the paranormal and hauntings. You know, you'd be amazed at how many properties I get asked to visit that have got some sort of paranormal activity or so people believe.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, 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 let me ask you. Uh... Oh God. Oh, God. <laughs> Barry. Barry. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's all right, Ron. Don't worry about it. Oh, <laughs> I call you John again. All the I know, <laughs> As long as it's not Elton John, I'm all right.
1: <laughs> don't we have Don't we have a nickname for him that I, I can get by this?
0: What for me? You, you're
1: not... You, you know what it is? You just have such a cool name. It, it really, it just blows my mind. You're It's like, Barry John, uh, John Barry. It's like, you should be singing, you should be singing somewhere in a deep-toned voice,
0: you know. And now, the, the, the know. thing is there, Ron, that's sounding like the Amityville horror sort of movie, isn't it? You can expect that being the murderer in the, cre- in the crime scene or something. That's what scares uh, me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyways, when, when you go on trips, uh, do you keep your paranormal hat on? Uh, you know, are you still interested in the paranormal? I know, you're a, a medium as well, right?
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I do, yeah. I mean, I've got to say, I don't walk, right, walk around all the time thinking, oh, that must be paranormal, and I wonder what activity this building's got. But I, I love listening to people's stories. And once people know what you do, they start opening up to you, probably the same as what Cal gets. And people do say, well, I've had this experience. What can you tell me about it? Um, and that, for me, is where the fascination comes in, because... I think so many people still treat what we do as a as a very much a sort of like an underworld. You know, you're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to say what you're doing. Um, and I think there's also a big crossover in terms of people's religions, religious beliefs. But I love it visiting some of the old sites. And, and I remember many years ago, I went over to Egypt and I ended up going up into Israel and visiting Masada, which is where all the, um, the Jews were with the Romans. And, yeah. and I've got to say, it was one of the most... And the, the only way for me to say this, one of the most emotional experiences I've ever experienced on top of that mountain, and, you know, you, can, you could almost imagine what they must have gone through realising what was coming and what was going to be the end of their life, but I think sometimes with it, it's, it's whether it is paranormal or whether it's just your imagination trying to relive what's happened at times, but, um, as I say, I love, I love listening to people's stories and people's experiences.
1: Right. You know, I, I mean, especially for a medium, I think uh, you, you tend to, uh, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, is it more difficult to you to kind of divorce yourself from, from what you do?
0: No, no, not at all. I, th- I think for me, because I've done it for so long, it's very easy for me to turn on and off with people, you know, and to, and to have that ability there when I want it. Right. But I think uh, for me, it's the it's, it's people understanding it and, and wanting to come and talk to me about their experiences. And sometimes, yeah, you do find it where you're walking into, a, into a, an old building or something, you think, oh, this, you know, I've got a shiver there, or there's something that's not quite right, somebody's following me. Um, but, you know, I think it's exactly the same as here, to be honest. You know, I think people have got this fascination all around the globe, whether it be Europe, America whether it be the Middle East, wherever it is, people have always got this fascination. Um, I remember um, probably about six or seven years ago being asked to go out to Buenos Aires by uh, the President's Organization of America. Um, and it was great because they asked me to do a ghost walk around like, the Recoleta Cemetery where Eva Perón was buried. And again, you know, you're entering this environment that's got this wonderful sort of culture, it's got this nature, it's got this haunted feeling about it. And, you know, as with any building, if it's got the atmosphere, if it's got the character, you know what? People will soon start picking things up and linking into it.
1: Right. Of course, you realise that Cal is going to say that's just ultrasound, right, Cal?
0: Exactly. <laughs> well, Cal. A, a lo- location.
2: It, it could be um, <clears throat> a particular area that you're in or how the building's actually been um, put together. When we were in Turkey, we went to... An old ruined amphitheater it was massive, and when you got inside to the halls that were still um, complete, it was like a Lord of the Rings when they went into the mines that the architecture of this old amphitheater was fantastic, and you couldn 't help but be taken in by the environment and thinking, you know what history's gone through this building and, you know it'd be fantastic to take a medium there and see what they can pick up and who's come and gone because um you know, there's no uh, roof to any of uh, the parts of the building anymore, except for some of the tunnels. And um, you can see that it's probably been used for a number of for a number of things, not just, um, say, performances or um, public talks or meetings. There must have been a number of things it's been used for over the years. So you know it's got a lot of history. And even from aerial photographs, you know that it's a massive eyesore on the landscape. And... Um, you know, uh, you can't help psychologically by being taken in by this environmental structure, um, so I think you can make those presumptions sometimes with a, um you know, whoever you are, that this has got a lot of past so it might very well be haunted, you get that haunting feeling just by, you know, stepping into that environment um, right. Right. who knows this is just, you know, one idea
0: <laughs> No, you're absolutely right Callan, that's that's my sort of view of it really, in that, you know, people can make up their own minds, and, and It's as I always say, you know, you've got mediumship or you've got people's imaginations. They are very closely connected if you're not careful. Um, And stepping into any sort of haunted building, you, you can soon start yourself imagining what happened there and what sort of things went on. Absolutely.
1: What I find fascinating is, is, for instance, that somebody will walk into a location. I'll just just give you a for instance. Uh, somebody is walking through the streets of Boston, and they come into a parking lot, and, and they get in here, and, and they, they get some type of a feeling, whether it's dread or it's, it's something else. And as it turns out, uh, maybe them, they might find, feel even terror, but uh, as it turns out, that they happen to be on the location of, for instance, the coconut grove that burned down, and there was 100 people that burned to death. So to me, that that is pretty good. Uh, you know, I won't say scientific, because I hate that word, because it's been thrown around so, so much. But it, it's certainly good evidence that uh, there is some type of a psychic imprint or something to do with that particular lot of land.
2: That was no for you, go, You go ahead.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants that? Oh my God.
0: <laughs> no, but it's, it's exactly the same as what we were just saying, isn't it? That, you know, any place you go, anywhere that we feel is haunted or has had some sort of activity, has got some sort of paranormal phenomena, phenomena left there. You know, it's got some sort of energy field. Um, and, I, and again, I think it doesn't matter where you are, you know, it's what's generated on that spot. You know, history has a lot to answer for. And I think when we start delving into history and looking at the experiences that's been there, that's when you start throwing yourself into this sort of mediumship mode, or, or in some people's case, if they haven't got that ability, into their imagination mode.
2: Could even trigger um, spontaneous events, such as yeah. retro as well, having predictions of past <clears throat> events just by being in a particular environment. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes you could just get incredibly accurate guesswork, and it comes down to coincidence as well. Um, you know, it might not be that they've got any psychic abilities, but somehow you know, they, they might have just guessed the particular name at a particular location in a particular event, and to some people yeah. that seems like, you know, wow, they've hit the nail right on the head, but how bigger coincidence is it and you know paranormal experiences are all about looking at the coincidences and what are the likelihoods of this and has something happened more times than we would expect or you know is this medium or is this person getting things right more times than we definitely would expect and every time we take them to a haunted location they're able to guess the number of uh, people that were murdered in this room are able to get names, they're able to get dates, they're able to tell you about certain events, uh, structural changes everything like that and it, it all adds up over time because again going back to what Barry said about the, the difference between imagination and psychic abilities, some people might find them very close. When I've done cold readings before and I've got them uh, really spot on and uh, to these people they, they find them quite accurate when to me it's just you know guesswork and I've let them fill in the gaps and They've not noticed that I'm getting to, I'm drawing information out of them, but you know, to, to have an initial idea when I guessed say uh, what was in someone's garden, I, I kind of walked them through my imagination. And I said, "I'm okay. I'm walking through your house right now. I'm going into the kitchen and I'm looking outside," and I had to just imagine it. But to them, they genuinely thought I was tapping into something. Mm-hmm. So you know, um, you've got to see how many times can we kind of weed this out. If I went to a haunted location, say a um, hundred how many times would I get the information right compared to someone like Barry? Yeah,
0: yeah. And I think what you have to look at, Cal, is some of the obvious things, isn't it? People always come out with names. And I'm not being funny, you know, any sort of building you go into it's probably got a William connected to it, a John connected to it, a Margaret connected to it. You know, and it's when you start going for the unusual things, you know, and the way that I like to work, you're just pushing it a bit further than that and going for surnames or things that, you know, you couldn't possibly have known. And I think... You have to get yourself out of that sort of um, common root of names and things that people are automatically going to associate with. And you're right, you know, with a cold reading, you know, people really do start reading things into it themselves. Um, yeah. You know, and I, I remember doing readings for people, and, you know, you'll say to them afterwards, oh, you know, did you get anything from that? Or ask them to recollect the reading. And what people do is actually read entirely what they wanted into it, not exactly what you said. Yeah. I
2: remember um last time I did it, there was probably about 18 groups that I went through. And I did do, uh, in some of the groups, I just did an absolute, okay, dive in and do something extraordinary. Pick a name out of a hat that isn't a common one and something that they wouldn't expect. Because, you know, if I get it wrong, I can always move on. And I think I got it wrong quite a few times, except for this one where uh, I got it spot on and it shocked them. But, you know, the amount of times I got it wrong, I was bound to get something right eventually. Mm. So I just went, yeah, um, I'm getting the name uh, Francesca. She can't be here with you today, and she's so disappointed. Um, she's, she's ill, and she's missing out. Apparently, the group of girls that had gone along to this event, their friend Francesca had actually arranged for them to go and wanted to go, but she fell ill that morning, so couldn't make it. So, um, you know, but eventually I was bound to get that right. I mean, you know, there's quite a few people every day that fall ill and can't go to work or can't make things, and they've all got different names, and so one of those people is bound to be called Francesca. I mean, I'm sure every day there's bound to be, you know, at least, you know, a few hundred people called Francesca that have fallen ill, got a cold, can't make it, or something like that. Or just spooked you out completely. (laughs) I
1: have have no idea even how to uh, answer that.
2: Well, you've got to go back to statistics again and look at the likelihood and um, there's a parapsychologist called Paul Rogers who specialised in this and he did a couple of talks recently for the SPR and then ASAP and uh, he basically looked at you know, what, what's the likelihood of two people in a room sharing the same birthday? how many people would you need just by right. statistics alone. Uh, in that room to share a, the same birthday. And right. people right. in the audience couldn't believe that you needed, um, uh, I think it's 23 people or 22. I've forgotten the number of rubbish But it's, it's only that many. you only uh, between 10 22, 23 for at least two people within that room to share the same birthday. And you right. realize
1: when, when, that the When Karen was over here, I, he told us that, and I was simply amazed, uh, Cal,
2: because, yeah, everybody thinks it's a lot higher number. Yeah, absolutely. So people don't realize that, you know, these coincidences are maybe not as rare as you think. And let's have a look at telephone telepathy. You've been thinking of someone and then the phone rings and it turns out to be them. You've got to take into consideration, well, how often does that person call? Um, what's the likelihood of them uh, calling you and how often do they call people every day, every week? Uh, how long's it been since you last spoke to them? There are loads of factors that you've got to take into consideration that led up to them calling you in the first place. How many times were you thinking about that person and they didn't call? And it it seems to be that, like with the cold reading, negative feedback from the cold reading, we tend to ignore and push to one side and we pick out the positives that have been said. So we think, oh, my God, that's amazing. They got that totally right. If you went to that person, okay, how many things did they get wrong? They tend not to remember. And Paul gave an example of this again to someone in the audience that just didn't believe that these coincidences could actually be um, so large and he said uh, to this audience member who uh, she worked for an adoption agency um, and it was about reuniting people that got adopted and uh, it was very rare that these people um, would uh, call and be connected Uh, she'd usually get a call from someone and go and trace their relative and it was something about two of the relatives calling at the same time and they hadn't spoken in 20 years and she happened to get both of the calls on the same day at the same time or something like that and um, she said, you know, that's in- incredible. You know, how would they know to call at the same time? There must be some sort of psychic link there. And he said, well, how many times... It- oh, I'm trying to explain this the best way possible to make it. So- how many times has that happened... And you haven't realised that, you know, two people called thinking they were related and they actually weren't. Or, you know, you don't know the follow-up of the story. You don't know if they met. You don't know if it was the right people. You're just going by name. There's loads of things that make people presume that it's an amazing coincidence, where maybe it's not. Uh, I'm going to leave it there, because it's so... I, I'm trying to think back to <laughs> I, I, I thought could, you did a great job with that, stuff. Cal, actually.
0: <laughs> it, it is, though. I mean, that's one of the examples that I always use to people, you know, when they talk about psychic ability, And I always say, you know, how many times do you, you, know, you, you think of somebody and suddenly the telephone rings? But if it's somebody's mother, for instance, they probably ring them four or five times a day, probably at six o'clock every evening, um, and it just becomes a matter of probability rather than you know, yeah. of any form of psychic ability. Now, if it was somebody who you know, suddenly, I don't know, I'm thinking of my cousin in Australia who I've not spoke to for probably ten years, and then yeah. suddenly the phone rings and it's them on the phone, then I'm shocked. Yeah. You know, but yeah. if it, if it's like you say, if it's somebody's mum who's bound to be on the phone three or four times a day in some cases, um, you know, it's it's pretty sort of obvious, isn't it, that it's not any form of psychism, psychism. It's it's purely probability.
2: Yeah, the main argument I've always put forward to that is how many times have you thought of that person and they haven't called? <laughs> because, you know, you, you just yeah. got to weigh it up and look at it in terms of the ratio. Right.
1: That actually, actually makes sense, it makes sense. <laughs> but anyways, I, I do want to report that uh, I've actually come up with a device. It's called the DEAD Chamber. It stands for Digital Entity Activity Detector. And what I have done is gone actually the reverse of most parapsychologists and that is that they try to rule out different things that cause paranormal activity i decided to put all these things that they ruled out to cause paranormal activity put them together in a single unit and therefore you must be guaranteed paranormal activity if you use this chamber
2: okay (laughs) is this an actual device Ron
1: it is. We uh, we started the R and D in it uh, last weekend, and I will finish it up tomorrow, and we'll be—I mean, on Friday—and we'll be unveiling it uh, at Spectral Evidence in Salem on the 21st, and then again at the uh, Haunted Victorian on the 29th. So basically, if if you have all these things that cause paranormal activity according to uh, natural occurring, I'm not—I mean, you know, these are. Things that say, okay, I've had a paranormal experience and a parapsychologist says, well, that's because you have high EMF or you have this and this. Well, if that's the case, then if you have all of these Mm -hmm. same uh, conditions, environmental conditions and so forth, and uh, uh, and you experience them, then you must be guaranteed to have a paranormal experience.
2: Ah, So it it measures um, environmental factors that we could misinterpret as paranormal then? Exactly. Right, all in one? All in one. All in one. And what's it, can you tell us what it's actually made of, or what does it look like? It's
1: actually a uh, cabinet. Oh, right, a big cabinet, okay. It's a big-ass cabinet. <laughs>
2: like a coffin or something like.
1: That. Oh no no no! Not that dramatic. Not that dramatic. It it has got all the things. I mean, we even threw in the divination things, of course, so that uh, you can speak to the spirits. We have got electronic uh, boxes and stuff, so the spirits can speak back and forth to you, of course, because it's you're guaranteed to have a paranormal experience, and there will be a spirit there because there has to be.
2: So you take this to a haunted location and put it in there, and Oh, it doesn't even
1: have to be a haunted location. It can be anywhere. Oh, it, it doesn't have anywhere. to be a haunted location.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So so when are you when are you testing this then Ron? When are you testing this out?
1: I am testing this on the 21st of October.
0: Okay. And who's who's going to be your first um a, apprentice to try this?
1: We will we will have over 100 somewhat people there and uh, we will be. Uh, it will be experienced by many of them there.
0: Okay. Okay, that's interesting. So it'll be
1: random, random of this this pool of 100 people. So.
0: And are they, are they in total darkness then in this cabinet? Of course they are. <sighs> okay.
2: I'm still a little bit confused as to how it works. So let me, let me just kind of give an example. You can tell me if I'm totally wrong here. But, okay, you put them... Um, in the room with this cabinet and they experience something that um, let let's say they're getting a sense of presence and that they feel someone's in the room watching them or behind them and it's due to the fact that that room has got high emf and how does the cabinet tell you that the room has got high emf how how would it do that is there a digital display or
1: you will you will experience multi leaf facets uh, you will guarantee to see a ghost because you cannot. I mean, if you take a look at, it, it's, it's, say, IEM, EMF is one of the things. Say ultrasound is another. Say whatever. Uh, if these are all the things that cause paranormal activity or, or make people believe they 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 experience paranormal activity, they right. ergo they should experience paranormal
0: activity every single one hundred percent. Right. All oh, right. on this, cow. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, just,
2: I'm, I'm still trying to picture it in my head. So it is just guaranteeing that they'll have an experience, but it's taking into account the actual factor that's the environmental factor that's causing or, or, or potentially uh, contributing to the paranormal experience. And in that case, let's say it's EMF. Does the cabinet? in any way let you know that it's EMF that's responsible, or it's just um, making sure that the person is having a paranormal experience because there is high EMF?
1: And well, eventually what will happen, and this we can't do it in this particular location uh, yeah. because of time factor. There'll, there'll be a bunch of people there. Yeah, we will be doing some studies with it, and then we will remove certain environmental conditions and see how it uh, how it affects uh, a person's ability to have this paranormal experience, to see a spirit, to speak to a spirit, to talk to a spirit. Mm.
2: Can I have a go with this when I come over?
1: Absolutely.
2: <laughs> I want to see just, more of what's inside.
1: Just bring some extra underwear. All right. <laughs> I, know, I know we're coming up on the break, and uh, we are talking with Cal Cooper, a uh, parapsychologist. Uh, Cal, what's your website? It's
2: www.calcooper.com.
1: Yeah, and also, uh, medium, uh, do I call you a medium? Uh, is that your proper you terminology, Mr. Barry John?
0: Like, I'll be a rock star if you wish.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, it's that deep. You know, I I'm, I'm can't, I don't know, I just love the name. Mr. <laughs> Barry John, and Barry, uh, what is uh, your website,
0: please? Our website is um, www.barryjohn.com.
1: Okay, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Ron Colip, Cal Cooper, and Barry John on Toji Net, Ghost Channel, Pararex, and beyond. So, any quick things uh, you want to say? Uh, it looks like I uh, played that a little bit too soon. i like got about 30 seconds. I'm right just dumping
2: this cabinet through in my head, and I'm just picturing it full of crystals and K2s and all sorts just kind of jumbled into this <laughs> Oh, <here>.
1: yeah, <laughs> trust me. I didn't, I didn't mention the smoke.
0: <laughs> the smoke. I've, hmm. I I imagine it a bit like a coffin, to be honest. Now, I've done yes. a séance in a coffin before, and it was very strange, actually. Really? Yes. Well, I'm not sure if it was if it was actually me in the coffin or people knocking on it from outside. But um, all I've right. To say so, it was so keep that thought. We're well, going to coming
1: up to the break right now. So you're listening to Ghost Chronicles. We'll be right back after the following messages on Tojinet Ghost Channel, Direct and Beyond. welcome to talking net radio with a cutting edge everything you heard about witches is true how It is the time of year when the shades of the dead whisper from forgotten places, and spirits walk among us. The witches of Salem, Massachusetts, honor this time with Festival of the Dead, an annual event series that explores death's macabre customs, heretical histories, and strange rituals. Founded by Salem Witches, Sean Porrer, and Christian Day, and hosted by the foremost authorities on the spirit world, Festival of the Dead beckons guests to step through the veil into a mysterious realm where spirits await you. To learn more or to purchase tickets, visit festivalofthedead.com or call 978-740-9783. Happy Halloween! <laughs> This is spooky, they all talk outly gooky, the Far family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Far family. They're strange. Deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite rule. It's time to run to- So, so, Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And cemetery tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery-tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we will say. scares me. Except so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Cal Cooper and Ron Kolick and our very very special guest is medium Mr. Barry John and we're live on TojiNet, Pararex, Ghost Channel and beyond. So Cal's all uh, excited about my uh, dead chamber.
2: <laughs> I've just changed my
1: now. I'm
2: picturing now an ice cream bun full of <laughs> k <K-tons>. 2
1: <Thanks. laughs> <laughs> I'll let you. I'll let you know how I make out when I when I debut this thing on the twenty first. Now, now, don't get me wrong. This is going to need some tweaking as we go along. I have no doubt about it. But it's uh, I, I think it's a really novice idea. And uh, you know what, Barry? It would be excellent for uh, a medium to try it as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm up for experiments, Ron. You know that, and I think it's a brilliant idea. I don't think Cal's taking it serious, Ron. And,
1: you know what? He still, he still thinks uh, Richard communicates with carrier pigeons, so what the heck. In fact, he does, though. But that's,
0: that's the point. He can it more
2: seriously I think, I think, than Richard. I use a mobile phone.
0: <laughs> but he but does fascinate me, and I love I love experiments. I mean, I've done experiments with, um, like, the Franks box, for instance, the ovulus. you know, and I've right. got to say, I'm still yet to be convinced by them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to make people understand that, um, the Franks box, for instance, a lot of it is just matrixing. A lot of it is just people's imagination pretending what they've heard. Um, very similar to the obvious that's obviously only going to repeat words that you say into it. So, you know, I think any, any sort of experiment out there that can prove that there's possibly something is, is great for us to try. You know, that's what we're trying to do is prove that there is something at the end of the day.
1: Right. And, and you know what, Barry, I, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to prove, especially in perhaps our lifetime. Maybe at some time, as Richard says, they will come up with something that we can absolutely prove. But I think the, the paranormal, the other world, or whatever you want to call it, that the same rules don't apply to them as it does to us. So therefore, our methods of measurement are virtually useless uh, in trying to measure the other side. Or uh,
2: Can you accept that, Cal, as a possibility? Okay, there's um, a high committee member of the Society for Psychical Research, which is Professor Bernard Carr, and he's mentioned no end of times in various publications, and one of the last proceedings he um, dedicated an entire paper Um, to just one of the proceedings and it was talking about the role of the 10th and 11th dimension playing a role in psychical phenomena and we as humans just can't comprehend even the fourth dimension the concept of time and space which we've you know time we've developed ourselves as a concept but how it kind of works in um, everyday life and also you know beyond the earth and up in space you know, So when you think about the 10th and 11th dimension, beyond mm-hmm. all those dimensions, you know, anything's going on up in right. space. Right. You know, you can have, uh, let's just say, the time warp phenomena that we have as one of the paranormal phenomena, walking into a different period of time, somehow just walking into that, you're walking through some sort of portal and it takes you back and you experience the past and you walk out the other side and you're back in present day again. You know, that's the role of the fourth dimension and the dimensions beyond it. For, for us as humans and looking for rational explanations, which we do, we're problem-solving um, creatures, uh, we just find that puzzling and bizarre. But, you know, you've got to accept that, you know, everything that's on this earth isn't everything there is to life and there's so much up in space that we can't even begin to comprehend. And we're only comfortable with what's down here and we're only comfortable with what, we're, what we understand. Uh, we're never going to be comfortable with things that confuse us and things that just simply don't make sense to us. And we'll either push them aside, say they're nonsense, fraud, irrational, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, I'm willing to accept that.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's
0: interesting. It's uh,
1: uh, I'm sorry, Barry, but I was just going to say what's interesting for you is that uh, you know these things are real and you don't need the proof. So it's kind of different for you, isn't it?
0: It is, yeah. I mean, that's the way that I look at it. And and I do think, Ron, that some people just have, you know, um, they can be very closed in the minds, you know, about, well, it's got to be proven, it's got to be proven. But, you know, I've got to say, from my point of view, and I do take on board what Carl says about cold reading and things like that. But, you know, when you can give information that is provable, when you can give something that is genuine, that you've never met somebody before or been to a location before, then I think you've got to start considering it and saying, well, there is a possibility. Um, and, you know, we can, we can go down many different routes here trying to analyse, you know, does, me, does mediumship work? Does the, does the afterlife exist? Is paranormal real? And, and I think it's down to everybody's own uh, interpretation of it, really, and to say, yeah, I believe in it or no, I don't. It's very much, to me, it's, it's very similar to somebody's religious views. And if somebody believes in something and has had some sort of proof about it, then great, you know, I've got no problem with that. Right.
1: And it's interesting because you really have to work with the premise. I mean, for instance, uh, in February, I'm going to be teaching a, uh, a college course in uh, paranormal um, CSI. And the way this course is going to be taught, is that you have to accept the paranormal as a reality, okay? yeah, uh, That's the premise of it, you know, and then we go from there to understand it, if it does exist. You know, So that's the premise of it. It's not trying to disprove it or trying to think, okay, paranormal exists. How do we, how is the, are we affected by it, and how can we understand it better?
2: Hmm. See, from my point of view um, in psychology, I've never looked at the paranormal as a sort of objective thing, saying yes, it exists, no, it doesn't. It's something that I've always seen more so as humans. We've used the paranormal to just term, uh, as, as a term for experiences that we simply don't understand. And then there's a collection of those experiences that are, are quite common within that, such as... Right. Uh,
1: that's, okay. a, that's a true definition of I agree with you on that. That's for the true definition of paranormal. But if you believe, all right, just as the premise that ghost is okay, that's probably an easier way of putting it. Uh,
2: so you, you, the easier way I, I've always said is, okay, I'll accept that paranormal experiences occur. Um, what I'm not going to accept is that these experiences are, are unexplainable, and that's what they are as an objective thing, um, because each experience is going to be different. You could get 10 people that said, "Yeah, we've all all these 10 people we've all encountered a ghost," but they don't know each other, and they're from different areas of the. World, they've all come from a different place and they've all had a different experience at a different time at different ages. So, you've got to take into account where they were, what the circumstances were, whether were in a haunted location that's known for hauntings, had someone just died in their family and they saw the apparition, and you know. Uh, Let's say, let's take the haunting one, and it's got a history of hauntings, and someone saw a ghost that is well known to that location, and they didn't know that place was haunted when they went there, but they saw a ghost that's well known to that location. In that case, we could say, yeah, that's a, that's a phenomena that's objective, that's real paranormal phenomena, because they're witnessing something that isn't kind of attached to them in any way, there was no prior suggestion, other people have seen it at that location, and it's linked to that environment. With the other person who saw the apparition of someone who died in their family, it was spontaneous again. Um, Let's say they didn't know the person who died, they just appeared at the end of the bed. It was spontaneous, they saw the apparition. Um, No one's ever seen ghosts in that place before, but it was linked to one of their family members dying. And no one else in the room, say, saw that apparition except for that person whose relative it is. In that case, again, yes, it is paranormal. But it's just linked to that individual. So it could be psychological. If they did know that person had died and then they had an apparition, we could say that maybe the grieving stage brought that on and it was a pure hallucination. So it's very hard to kind of separate what's this objective paranormal thing and, yes, I believe in the paranormal, those things that aren't attached in any way or we can't really link them that well to psychology. And, yes, I accept these experiences that people are having and they're very unusual. They don't fit very well into contemporary psychology, though what we have in psychology and what we found from research can start to shed light on these experiences to some extent. So, you know, it's very hard to kind of just group them together as one thing that we call the paranormal. It's just this horrible way of kind of we have to dissect.
1: it Right. Physics, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know what, I'm going to have to actually end the discussion here on on this (laughs) stuff, and and we, you know, I've tried to do this for like two weeks now, we always end up getting into some other discussion, but we were were actually, we're going to start talking about some haunted places in your part of the woods there, Barry, which uh, we really, you
0: know, people don't know about, and
1: we'd like to hear the stories behind them, so uh, I I have...
0: I what, actually... What's 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 nice for me, Ron, where where I live is is obviously in the middle of Sherwood Forest, and you know the tales of Robin Hood run rife around here. But I've got to say, I've never seen Robin Hood running around in his tights in the woods, <laughs> and, and, and you know I've never experienced anything anything paranormal, you know. Um, but I've got to say, you know, there are some wonderful places. You know, we've got some very old sort of abbey buildings here. Um, that belong to very famous sort of um, English families, and one of them being Rufford Abbey. Um, You know, and I I know, you know, uh, people have done vigils there before and got some amazing stuff, you know, they really have. But, you know, you're talking of a building there that's probably a good few hundred years old. It's going to carry the history, as we keep saying over and over again. You know, it's it's carrying um, part of an imagination there for people. You know, people can visualise what it was like. Um, even though it's still a ruin, and You know, you've got also um, places like Thorsby Hall, which is... Well, let's
1: uh, go back to that one you're talking about. Do we know who haunts that particular location? Do we know the story behind it? Because, you know, the history and the paranormal go hand in hand and, and, you know, we'd like to hear the story behind this place.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, Rufford Abbey um, was owned originally by the Savills family Um, and basically in the grounds there's all the the, um, race dogs that was owned by the family, there's the um, um... show horse that was owned by the family, a big racing horse, and they're all buried in the grounds. And, you know, people have rumoured at times to have heard the dogs howling in the night. You know, they've they've said that they've felt um, presence in the building itself. And as I say, it is only um, an abbey now. You know, it's a ruin nowadays, not an abbey any longer. And, you know, it was was part of a monastery at one time. And when the dissolution of the monastery came about, Um, you know, it it went into a very sort of ruined state and then it turned itself into a a stately home. So, you know, people have encountered at the entrance area very sort of strange photographs. Um, You know, I have different views on photographs. You know, a lot of the time people um, will send them in to me and say, oh, look at this mist. And, you know, the first thing I would say is, was anybody smoking near you? What was the atmosphere like? What was the temperature like? You know what sort of time, of day or night, was it? Um, you know, and people have captured, you know, photographs that they believe to be um, people stood outside the doorway, for instance, at times. But the the main sort of presence, I think, what people do encounter there is is all these race dogs that have been buried there. You know, the greyhounds that belong to the family um, and the race horse, etc. So, you know, f- for anything that can be proven, I don't know for me because I've never done a vigil there. But it's a fascinating old building, and for me, if I go there, I go more from a historic point of view, because I think it's just just full of history so much. If that makes sense?
1: No, absolutely. And and is it open to the
0: public? It is open to the public. Yeah, it's it's literally um, probably five or ten minutes around the corner from me. But it's open to the public, so people can go, you know, and and try their own experience. Really, you know, that's what that's what I think people need to do nowadays is have this experience of their own and you know as, as Cal keeps saying and we have very similar views you know paranormal is people's experience it's not for anybody to say this is what you get in. and one of the things I always say on any event you know the most minutest piece of information could possibly be paranormal but you know we don't run around saying everything's paranormal on the night you know people have got to keep this open mind
1: Right and so, um, Cal, you still with us, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm still here. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, well, um, I, go, go on, go on, go on, go on. What do you got? Uh,
1: on a location like that, uh, is, is it a good idea for someone to go and and have an experience? It, it is open to the public, like Barry said. And uh, is that is that a good idea? Or, you know, parasite as a
2: parapsychologist. Oh, yeah, there's no signs up saying that, you know, people have had bad experiences here before or it might psychologically traumatise you, don't come to it. <laughs> um, they're really nice when, when, when you uh, go around these places in the UK, such as uh, Rufford Abbey and Newstead Abbey, uh, Abbey, Wallerton Hall. They're fantastic grounds and you go up to the building and they're just littered with history. So, you know, even if you're not going there for a love of the paranormal, you're at least going there as very for a love of the history. And um, as well and they're just nice places to go and chill out but sometimes people can go in and I've known people to go into these locations before just with an interest of looking around and wanting to learn the history and then all of a sudden, bang, they have a paranormal experience while they're actually going around on one of the tours and they actually see something or um, they have some sort of deja vu experience of having been there before in a particular room um, so yeah it is It is good because you're getting out there you're actually, even if you've read up on that place before, you're actually going to experience it for yourself if you've read a other people's experiences or you've read a book on their history um, I'd certainly encourage anyone to go out to these locations and actually um, experience, try and experience something for yourself but don't actually go out with that in that aim. just go and check out the place go and check your local history, just go and learn more about it and if something paranormal comes along well that's a bonus
0: yeah i mean you mentioned a great one there cal actually newstead abbey which is you know again it was the home of lord byron originally but prior to that it was (coughs) excuse me it was actually a very old abbey and it still is it is it's still religious it's still got a uh, a chapel in it there so as you know getting in there to do some sort of investigation can be very difficult But, you know, again, put yourself in that position, you know, that Lord Byron used to live there and that he wrote some of his books there. And and apparently, if you look into the history, he actually spent very little time there because he spent most of his time abroad in Greece. But, you know, that goes with any sort of um, location in the UK, really. You know, people very often talk of Mary Queen of Scots. And, you know, Mary Queen of Scots travelled around the country so much... That she actually spent very little time at uh, each location that she's apparently appeared at, um, you know, and you do have to look at that and, and you know look at it as an individual basis and think, well, you know, if that was her home, then did she actually live there? If it wasn't a home what is, what is she supposedly haunting there anymore? You know why hasn't she moved on because it isn't what she knows to be home anymore um, but as, as I was saying, you know um, Newstead Abbey is is a, a tremendous place. Um, you know, and if you actually go in the old hunting lodge, which is actually um a public house now on the main road, there used to be tunnels that actually run from the public house to the to the uh, Newstead Abbey grounds, where you could actually walk between them and basically it took you into a let 's say a very posh sort of bar area under the pub where you know it was only for the gentry to get, to be gone you know public weren 't allowed in there you know it wasn 't a working man 's sort of bar. Um, and they're things that I find very fascinating, you know, how the other side lived.
1: I think it's a, you know, uh, you guys are so, so lucky because your history is, you know, it, it's everywhere. Uh, I mean, your, your country is, is not that big, and I don't mean in any, any derogative uh, way. But you have so many historic uh, locations that go, you know, that have been around for hundreds of years and it just blows my mind that you guys are
2: so lucky I tried to make a little list um, before we started of um, what locations uh, Barry and myself have actually been to or more so um, together and one of the ones that I always found um, quite atmospheric and I couldn't help myself but think of the history as I was walking through the place and what it would have been like when it was up and working was um, Plesley Vale Mills which um, we both spent a lot of time at so that housed a lot of um, the uh, the fabric machinery and making uh, cotton for the mills and there's big big rooms that used to house the looms and all sorts in there and they're just well when I used to investigate it and when Barry used to investigate it they were completely empty so at night time the atmosphere in there was just Bizarre, but you can picture in your head things that would have gone on in there. And uh, for anyone going about, there's a lot of suggestion, but some weird things certainly did happen in
0: there when I was there. I don't know about you, Barry. What kind of. Yeah, I, I agree with that, cat And remember, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, and I can actually remember before the mills got took over and, you know, before it was converted into the offices. I yeah. remember when it was a derelict building. And, and, you know, as children, we just used to walk up there and climb inside the buildings and run around the floors. Um, and I've got to say, you know, that place has always had some sort, of, um, some sort of feeling to it. It's very difficult to say. But, you know, again, look at the history. You know, you've not only got the mill there, you know, during the Second World War, they made a lot of ammunition there. You know, it's said that what they did was cover up the valley uh, with a big sort of like camouflage net. So that if the if any planes come over the top, they couldn't see what was underneath it. And, you know, it was said that they moved all the ammunitions there. They used to make a lot of parachutes there. But I've got to also say that I've been there with groups doing paranormal investigations where people come out with the most bizarre information at times <laughs> and the most ridiculous information, you know. And, and again, I think it's this where... You know, when I've worked with people who want to be mediums or want to be a paranormal group, you know, and, and they'll start coming out with things and, and suddenly you've got, you know, something that's totally bizarre, something out of Lord of the Rings or whatever, and you think, do you know what, that's just not feasible. That's not possible in this building. But, yeah. they, but they tag the mind on this every... You, you know, they really do say that's, what it, that's what's got to happen. And I find it very, I suppose, really annoying that people send their imagination over the top
2: Yep, yep, totally. Uh, I went through the other ones as well, and I couldn't believe that the last, no, no, actually, no, the first time we did Clifton Hall together, that was 2005, when yeah, we went there, yeah. that's before they renovated the place as well, and that was certainly fantastic as well, having free run of that building. Mm. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, when you first took us there, and you went into the the main reception area, and it still got the tiled floors and the chandeliers were there, but covered in cobwebs, and it was your classic kind of haunted mansion. Before,
1: what, it was all ra- what is the history behind that, Kel?
0: Um, Barry, do you know it better than yes, I do? Well, I know, I know little bits about Clifton Hall. I mean, Clifton Hall again was owned by a very um, gentry family of Nottingham. Um, you know, and there was a lot of land there. I mean, a beautiful, beautiful place. And and what it what it again it. <laughs> As, as always, Ron, with any old buildings here, what they seem to do is either turn them into some sort of bu- public building or some sort of private school or some sort of office block. And that's, that's exactly what it went through. You know, it went from being a beautiful private house with, you know, statues in the garden, um, you know, very unusual sort of outside areas. And then it went, it was owned by the, um, the council, the Nottingham Council. At one point, it was used as their office block. Then it was turned into a children's school. Um, yeah. you know, a private school. So it, it's changed you so, so many times. But I remember, um, I don't know if you remember this, Cal, but a few years ago I got approached by the National Paper uh, locally to actually um, speak to them about the property was apparently haunted. What did I find there? The guy that had bought the property had run out and thrown the keys on the counter um, and basically said that he couldn't live there anymore because it was so haunted. And yeah, no, I've got to say, the-, the times when we went... If there was anything there, actually, I thought it was very pleasant. I never got a feeling of its unwelcomeness, you know. Um, And I actually did turn around to the paper and said, was it paranormal or was it the fact that you just couldn't afford to pay the mortgage anymore? (laughs) 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 You know, and and again, I think, you know, people can generate these stories to actually get themselves out of sticky situations. Yeah. Yeah you know, again, a beautiful place. I mean, you went in with me, if, if if I remember, when a friend of mine had just bought it ready for conversion. And it was still in its very raw state. You know, there were still sort of minor traces of, of what it was as a school. But when you started looking beyond that, you'd still got portraits that were actually drawn onto the walls and painted over, you would got beautiful yeah. ceilings, you'd still got the old fashioned staircase where you know, it was actually made for ladies in crinoline dresses because of the width of the dresses. They had yeah. to bow the staircase out. And can, can you remember, though, there, there was also um, a coffin staircase where the servants would be on the top floor. And if somebody died, they wouldn't bring them down the family staircase. And they took them what was down, what was called the coffin staircase, which was basically a servant staircase that the middle of it was actually more or less shaped like a coffin because you could lower the coffin straight down the servant's staircase without yeah. it being seen by the family or the local residents. And, and I think these are some of the touches, what we've got in the UK, that, you know, other countries haven't really got it.
2: Yeah, right? I, I remember that so well. We, we even had some strange activity happen around that staircase, and yeah. it, it was so dangerous to go down it because it had been used so often that the, the stone steps had actually smoothed away in the uh, middle. And um, I think when I first went there with you, because it hadn't been done up, the bottom of the staircase was actually blocked off, so you could go down it, but you couldn't actually get out anywhere. After that, it did then go out onto the main landing, which led to the back entrances, um, which went down the stairs. And one side of the hall after that was being used as private residence, but the history of the place was... Fantastic, and we didn't actually get that much when we were there to an extent. It did actually feel quite homely every time you were in there and um when I later investigated it that 's when I was given the keys, and the family kind of gone away, and they said, Oh, well, this is happening, this is happening we've kind of had enough and they were on about the wall shaking and headless apparitions and blood splatters on the children 's sheets at night and um, they upped and left but there's always that other question of well is it really paranormal activity or are you leaving the property for something else there was a little inkling here and there that something unusual was going on but the you know for how big the location was and how old it was and how much history there was um i think we're expecting a lot more from it and people would say well you didn't really spend enough time in it we had the place for about two years so yeah, yeah. you know we were expecting a lot more than that i, I think we we kind of had the keys for the place from 2007 to 2008. And um, I I think I even left them with some colleagues and they carried on going up to it every uh, couple of weeks or so just to check up on experiments that they left. And they they didn't get anything beyond 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 It was great to have the place for so long, but, you know, you'd always hope for a bit more, uh, uh, you know, something, I don't know, just something more. Right, right.
1: Well, we're just about out of time. We've got about a minute and a half left. Uh, You you mentioned that you work uh, together, both uh, Barry, John, and and yourself, Cal Cooper. Uh, How do you work together? In in what instances? And this is, once
0: again, we only got about a minute and a half left.
2: Um, well, it's been so long ago since we actually both did anything together.
0: Uh, I'm uh, trying to think now, Cal, when, when it would have been last, actually. Was it probably somewhere like Oxford Castle, wasn't it, I'd have thought, off the top of my head? Um, no,
2: I went to Oxford Castle with you. Um, it, would been, <laughs> it would have been Plesby Vale Mills, so that would have been about 2005, 2006. And gosh. we are leading some tour groups around the place that um, wanted to go and investigate the paranormal. paranormal phenomena that have been reported there I think most of the time we'd either split up into two groups so we weren't really working together but if we were working together I'd basically follow you around I'd see what you were getting I'd maybe ask you questions and then you know, the public were wanting but they weren't sure whether to ask and then we would explore the rationale. And it, it was basically exploring everyone's opinions of what was going on and if something did happen, then everyone would go, right, stop, let's try and break it down, but let's consider both sides. What, what does the medium have to say? What can science tell us about this? What can psychology tell us about all of us being here together and how we're feeding off of each other? Yeah. So um, generally, it, it always worked out fine. I don't think me and Barry ever got to the point where we've got each other's hands ready just <laughs> each other's throats.
0: Well, no, not at all. You know, and, and I've always had this view, really, where you know, we're actually, uh, we're actually run
1: out of town, guys. Uh, John, uh, Barry, um, anywhere people can uh, see you. You got any events coming up very quickly. Yeah,
0: yeah. We've always got events coming up. Halloween for us is a massive event. Um, we're just discussing a, a contract with Channel Five at the moment over in the UK to do some work with them. Um, but you can get over to hold of us on the website, which is www.barryjohn.com. All right,
1: guys, I want to thank you very much. My guest has been Cal Cooper and Barry John. And till next time, good night and good buzz all. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Barry. Thank you. Thank you. From goalies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, things just go bump.